0: Welcome to The Long Way Around the Barn, where we discuss many of today's technology adoption and transformation challenges and explore varied ways to get to your desired outcomes. There's usually more than one way to achieve your goals. Sometimes the path is simple, sometimes the path is long, expensive, complicated, and or painful. In this podcast, we explore options and recommended courses of action to get you to where you're going now.
1: The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting. For those wanting to defend or extend their market share, Trility simplifies, automates, and secures your world your way. Learn how you can experience reliable delivery results at trility.io.
0: My guest today is Jesse O'Neill Oyn. Jesse is one of the original founders of SmartThings. A company later purchased and now run by Samsung, and is now co founder of a new company named One Tap Away, a next generation platform aimed at changing the operations, products, and services offered in multifamily properties. You should check them out. OneTapAway.com. So, Jesse, welcome. Thank you. So, tell us a little bit about you, your journey in technology, connected things, starting running companies. I mean, like, you have been you've done a lot you have a lot to talk to us about so your journey in tech
1: yeah i mean i was actually going to go ahead and go way back because usually uh at various companies that i've started i i begin my uh journey at college which was actually aerospace engineering um interestingly enough so i'm a rocket scientist um but i don't um, I don't use that skill much. Um, I actually was uh, in college in the late 90s, and the internet was the big hotness. And so while I was in this degree program, I fell in love with computers and programming and figuring out how to get these things online. I don't even want to tell you how much I spent on my first PC or the loan that I took out to do it. But... Um, but that's really where I started, was as a, you know, an engineer and an engineering mindset. But got really into computers and 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 tech, and and really wanted to pursue that. And you know, anyone who's been around long enough knows that the late '90s was a great time to do that. You could be an English major and program Perl, um, which is the language I did start with. So you know, I, I, I you know, I got a job while I was still in college, actually uh, at a company called Imaginet. Um, did various web programming, HTML, early CSS, Perl programming, et cetera. Um, and I just dove in and was pretty much self-taught. I took a couple of classes. Um, one was C and the other was Scheme. Um, I've got to be honest, those have not done much for me in my career. <laughs> um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't have that traditional training, but drove, dove into the web hardcore and and really um, at through this job at Imaginet, um, you know, honed my programming chops, learned more languages, etc. And even there at that company was sort of the reason I go that far back was, you know, my buds then are a lot of my buds now. And that was the first group of people that I talked seriously about, like, we should start a company, um, Scott Vlamic and Ben Edwards in particular, who then, you know, quite a few years later in 2006, that's when we started our first company. Um, it was called Refactor. And it was a, it was a, it was a, a consulting company focused on startups. Our mantra was three developers in three months, and we'll build your MVP. So um, that was the the first company that I had started, um, and you know we didn't know what we were doing. We knew a lot of technology and how to program. We hadn't worked with clients much, so we just you know sort of winged it and learned it as we went through those refactor days, and it went well. Um, you know we. We made a lot of great relationships in the community. We, we put a big focus on, like, the local community and the user groups. And we even started, uh, one of the guys, Ben Edwards, started Mini Bar here in Minnesota, which continues to this day to be one of the largest sort of, um, you know, bar camp style conferences, right? Um, so we put a lot of focus on that, and that's actually what eventually netted out to us, you know, doing the bigger startup that anyone who Googles me will, will see is smart things. Um, around, well, somewhere around 2010 or so, um, at one of these conferences, we met um, Alex Hawkinson, who ended up being um, one of the co-founders of SmartThings with us. So in that case, it was kind of interesting. We started with him as a client um, for uh, a company that he was working with and worked as a consulting company with him for several years doing this client work. During that time frame, we all became great pals. We respected each other. We realized probably more important than anything that our skills overlapped in a really good way. Like we had some really good tech people, some great design people, some great business people, uh, et cetera, right? Um, so in, in 2012, we started Smart Things. There were seven of us that were co-founders. But again, overlapping skill sets, it worked out well. But one of my pieces of advice that I give to people starting companies is don't have seven co-founders, even, even though for us it, uh, it, it was fine. That brought us up to smart things uh, and then, you know, did that for several years. Lots we can talk about about connected things and, and the journey there. And then eventually I got the itch to get sort of back into small. And that's what has driven me towards starting a company yet again in one tap away, um, where we're now focused on um, building a, a platform for multifamily amenities.
0: Right on. Well, that's what I I wanted to talk to you about next, then, was teach us about One Tap Away. I mean, what problem are you actually seeking to solve? Or maybe it's multiple problems. Because you've already done multiple startups, you've already learned. um, You probably have a pretty good idea of what recipes make sense, when do they make sense, when do you put something in the trash, when do you kick it down the road later. So right now on One Tap Away, given your past success, your past relationships, and all of the things you've learned— what is it you guys are focusing on where are you heading what's your target market and and you know what's the value prop but overall it'd be interesting to hear not only this is what we're going after but these are some of the things that we've already tested and put in the trash
1: right yeah i mean i think on the tested and put in the trash thing it's like I don't know that there's any perfect formula, right? For me, a lot of a lot of what guides us is, you know, we've worked with a a pretty familiar group of guys. Uh, the co-founders of One Tap Away are also uh, all smart things folks. Um, and so a lot of it has been like this shared context and experiences together that has, you know, helped us to then as a team try to go through it. and we, you know, when we were we knew we wanted to start a company together before we knew what the company would be. Um, we thought about machine learning and everything going on there and how hot that is. As you and I have talked about, Matthew, we also looked at sort of the aging population and and how to potentially use technology, especially connected devices technology, to help them stay happy and healthy in their homes for longer. Um, Ultimately, though, where One Tap Away is today, um, and we can talk more about the journey that got us there, today what we do is we're Um, We're an amenity platform for multifamily buildings. What that sort of means is that, you know, we're finding, especially outside of the real top level class A buildings, is that not a lot of tech has been brought to bear. And there's a lot of problems that exist today. Um, You know, access control continues to be a challenge. Some places have cards, some places don't have anything. What does that mean for getting, you know, your, your DoorDash guy to, to into the building to give you food, right? There's lots of unanswered questions still around access control. And so we've got some unique things we've done there to try to make it really easy for uh, residents of these buildings to get access. But also, you know, in our mind, a lot of it is also about getting other people access when appropriate at times, right? It could be a delivery, it could be packages, etc., so we, we, do, we do access control, uh, and we couple that with um, the smart locker system. We use the smart locker system sort of primarily to deal with the package problem, right, especially during COVID. Everyone's ordering packages. If you go into these buildings, some of the packages are out front. Sometimes the delivery folks did get inside, and they're piled inside. It, it's sort of a, a, a wild west. In some buildings, they have a closet. Everything gets thrown in there, but then... You know, we've looked at it and looked at other companies like Luxor One who who provide these sort of smart package lockers and tried to take that idea, drive the cost down, make it really easy to get it into buildings. Right now, those locker systems are this huge upfront cost if you want them. We're trying to drive the cost of those down um, and then provide this sort of multi-use smart locker system. Initially, like I've talked about, we use it for packages and trying to deal with that. That's great because it sort of cleans up the place. It means that there's more security for people's new iPhone or whatever. Um, But it also is a great lever for us as a company because, you know, we're not holding these packages hostages, but we've taken the package and put it in a locker. So we have a really great path to getting people to sign up and engage with our services. That's one of the things we really looked at hard when starting the company, regardless of what it was going to be, is what makes us sort of must have so we have that really good lever and channel to talk to the user. You know, and course of, of course in all of this, we we give people who don't have smartphones and don't want to engage with it a path to get their package, but it gives us a really good way to get people into our app, get people onto our platform and then we can expose them to other amenities that we can provide. Again, it could be the keyless access control. Um, With COVID, there's a lot around amenity reopening. So a lot of places have gyms, but they don't have any policy for how they're going to reopen the gym safely. We can control access, and so therefore we can help them come in and decide, okay, how many people do you want in there at a time? Is it one at a time? Is it multiple? And then we can work with them to control that sort of stuff. So um, and then, from there, like we see this world of amenities being much larger than this, and I can talk about a million different examples. We've done experiments with um, food delivery and group food ordering um, that could bring some interesting economies of scale to that as well as like a centralization of the delivery again. Um, we've, we've done wash, dry, fold, and dry cleaning tests with our lockers. Another amenity that could, could be really interesting for folks is the ability to just, when they're down there picking up their package, drop off the, the dirty laundry, and then later that night pick it up clean, that sort of stuff. Um, I'll pause there. I've kind of gone all over the place, but that you know that gives you sort of a sense of what we're looking at.
0: Yeah, that's a good call out. So some of the things you 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 explored right off the bat. So a big key in this conversation is you have a, a group of folks that you've had a journey with and that you just plain trust. And an interesting thing that you said at the front of that conversation that 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 uh, that moment was there were a group of us, we knew we wanted to work together. We just then we needed to figure out what we wanted to work on that's actually fabulous and amazing. So that
1: suggests that you're putting your relationships first. That is pretty cool. My whole career, I mean, when I talked about being at Imagine It and that first group of guys, Ben and Scott and me, we, we knew we wanted to start something, but didn't really know what we wanted to start either. For me, it it's, you know, Scott actually has a great way of saying it, I'll blow his quote, but it's, you know, I want to work with cool technology. Uh, I want to work on a problem that matters that, that, that has various degrees, right? Like it can be helping clean up packages. I, it, I don't, it, so said another way, it doesn't have to be world changing for me, but it matters a lot that I'm making a difference for end users or, or the people who use my product. And then number one for me is who I'm working with. Like we all go to the jobs every day and every job, no matter how well run of a company it is, has hard days, it has good days. So for me, it matters a whole lot who I'm going through that with, more so than the pure technology or even necessarily what the end product is. Even though I still want it to be cool, fun technology where I'm learning and I want it to be a product I can get behind and see how it's going to help you.
0: Right on. That makes a lot of sense. And then you said, as you guys were figuring it out there were things that you explored like machine learning or senior communities or otherwise and said, Hey, that makes sense. Just not for us or not right now. Um, and so you did go through a process of elimination. You ended up on, did you call it multi-family units, multiple dwelling units? How did yeah. you characterize it? Yeah.
1: I mean, we were, we were looking at now COVID has thrown a loop. Like we started this company and then COVID came along. So it'll be interesting, but we were looking at, um, a number of different facets right technology adoption it's happening even at, even in older uh, older folks who are getting or sorry folks who are getting a little older that uh, my mom is 70 and uses her smartphone and does all kinds of stuff um, so technology adoption is really ramping up We had this background in connected devices so we knew with an adoption on the on the sort of consumer side coupled with what we knew we could really do some powerful stuff so we we're looking at that we we're also looking at, People are moving to cities, right? It's a broad macro trend. This is where COVID, we'll see if there's truth to people fleeing New York City or not. I tend to still think there's a pretty big trend towards people moving together and closer. And so there's more and more multifamily buildings out there. Um, And in those buildings, they have problems like this, uh, as well as opportunities. Like there's a ton of people in this one multifamily building should, could we do something cool like Taco Tuesday that brings people together, right? And we bring some interesting group dynamics to it and some interesting scale things to it, right? So it, it was sort of some of those macro trends that we started looking at that then drove us into this area of looking at these multifamily properties, what we could do with IoT there, what you know connected devices in general, um, as well as then you know opening up this world of amenities available to these to these buildings. And part of how we're able to sort of help drive the cost down is we also look at, you know, revenue sharing opportunities with the building. So it's not just for them a pure like cost outlay, we can talk to them about, you know, profit sharing and, and revenue sharing for some of these amenities that stack on top of whatever our sort of basic packages. So we try to go in uh, and, and form a little bit more of a partnership there with the building.
0: Right on. And now you are more or less heat mapping uh, the types of people, the types of behaviors and activities inside these multifamily units. And then you're also looking at uh, industry competitive stuff saying, hey... What exists? How is it done? How can we do it better, different, or otherwise? And you're not just looking at technology. That's actually part of the fun, fun part of this conversation, at least from my perspective, is you are um, an engineer by training, and you are a technologist by career, if you will, but yet you're spending time thinking about people and needs and then the economics of not only the people but the multiple dwelling unit owners, if you will, the multi the family unit owners. And you're coming up with strategic ways to reduce that cost of acquisition. And um, you haven't said it, but I suspect you're also working on ways to make it almost a hands-off cost of ownership conversation across time. Just get it there, and it works um, what types of challenges have you already run into that you had to solve or that you're anticipating? Like we have a backlog, there's 10 things we know that are going to suck wind and we're going to have to solve all of them. And this is where we're at.
1: Right. What do you see in front of you? Uh, not technology things mostly, right. Um, for a lot of, a lot of where we're at, right. It's about, we've been actually taking, a Largely bottoms up approach and how we approach sales Um, and we've gotten fabulous feedback, but it's a real challenge to go to the property manager. They have one set of problems that they care about and they care about their residents quite a bit and retention and that sort of stuff. But if we start at the bottom with them, we need to tell them how everything we're doing solves their problem, but also pitch them the story for the people that own the building. We're finding more and more that we might need a bit of a top-down approach where we can get to the property manager and explain to them some of the good financial side of this and get them interested from that regard, then then get introduced. And we know from our, the feedback we've already received that the property managers are going to love us because we've solved some real problems for them, right? But what we're spending a lot of time is thinking about how to change sort of that relationship and that um, almost go-to-market strategy, if you will, um, because we need to convince the people that are going to sign the deal that it's worthwhile to them and that there's benefits to them. And it's not just about solving a messy hallway or something like that, that the property manager might care a ton about, right? And it might really sell them or they might really be interested in one facet of what we do. Um, But we need to be able to get that whole story across. And so, What's in front of us right now is is looking at at, at that and and figuring out different avenues, um, and we've got several. You know, we're we're talking to sort of big property manager networks that we have some contacts to. We're also going through some alternate channels, like we happen to have some interesting um, relationships with a large um, laundry company, um, and they they provide laundry machines in lots and lots of these multifamily buildings, and so we've been working with them on. Can we provide, can we work with them in sort of a partnership form around maybe a wash dry fold service that lets us get into the building through that channel, working with this other company, but then we can bring in the other beneficial amenities, the the smart lockers for the packages, et cetera, into these buildings.
0: It sounds like even though you're characterizing it as bottoms up and my original receipt of that was you were talking about the tech first and then working up into the people arguments. It's not what I
1: was talking about. To be clear, we did do that in parallel, right? So we built, you know, this isn't always the way you want to go, but we built a lot of software without clients. We built a lot of stuff based on what we thought was going to make sense. So we were doing that sort of engineering bottoms-up stuff in parallel. From my perspective at a slightly higher level in the company, a sort of bottoms-up approach in terms of how we get into buildings, right? We've got some great technology that really resonates but it doesn't mean anything if we can't get into hundreds and thousands of buildings. Um, and so that's you know, where, where I spend a lot of time focusing and where I was, when I brought it up, thinking of the bottoms-up approaches more about how we get into these buildings and get our software and our, our product in front of users. Again, at, at the same time, we were building a lot of technology and IP as well um, to be able to go in and pitch this and, and show the problems that we could solve. Oh, sure. So we were doing, doing a ton at the same time. Right. Yeah, you can't just show up with a presentation deck. I mean, you can, and a lot of people argue that that's how you maybe should do it, right? Because yeah. you don't know that you've got product market fit. And so there's a lot of people on the internet that will write you know, lot, reams of text about how you shouldn't write a line of code. It, uh, different people have different opinions. We were where we were. We had a bunch of engineers, and we knew how to build software, and we started building cool software and There's stuff we've thrown away that didn't go anywhere, right? Um, Sure. And then a lot that, you know, exists today in terms of property management system integration so that we can suck, so that we have uh, a way to get all the users out of a building. We've got a lot of software written around controlling lockers and access control. In all cases, we try to lend, you know, one of my mantras or, or beliefs for a long time has been to lean on... Other solutions were possible, and by that I mean AWS. You know, we 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 using a cloud provider. We we try to use what they can provide um, to to a huge degree. We, we you know we don't usually have a build versus buy debate because it's always buy if you can. Um, right. We like to try to avoid some of the undifferentiated undifferentiated heavy lifting and build you know our business intelligence and use. Things like AWS cloud providers or other SaaS solutions. For example, our access control all goes through right now. Today, a company, uh, another company that does this as their primary, you know, gig, um, right. and we integrate with them. Right? Sure. It, it, very similar in a lot of ways to the way we sort of approached smart things. As we saw there's a lot of pieces of technology out there that on their own are cool, but not super useful. And if you can be a bit of a glue company and bring a lot of these pieces together into a more seamless package and experience, um, then, then that's sort of a sweet spot. And so this company Mm -hmm. is, is somewhat of a glue company is how I sort of say it right where we're in a lot of cases, we're taking things that exist out there and we're pulling them together into a beautiful and unique and seamless package more so than, developing all of this on our own, because we'd need to have a massive team, right? We're 12 people with five of them being engineers, right? So we have to uh, stand on the shoulders of giants anytime we can.
0: Right on. That's cool. So part of the premise of what you bring to the table, then, for all practical purposes, is a contactless solution. I mean, ish. Ish, Um, yeah. We uh, want it
1: to be as contactless as possible, yeah. Right,
0: right. Especially now, it seems to be a popular time to talk about that. But when you're talking about uh, mobile phone utilization, uh, you're maybe talking about scheduling. You haven't said these things. I'm asserting. I'm hypothesizing. But there's a dependency on the end user device. Um, um, but it's not the, the only path. You said there can be a non-technology path as well. I believe you said interact. But as it relates to the contactless solution approach, um, what types of interesting security or privacy things have you had to solve, or do you anticipate having to solve? And are they different from uh, things you had to do in a past in
1: past lives as well? In a lot of ways, it's the same as any other project, right? Um, I and I do think that that is true, right? Like a lot of security and privacy, you have to take it uh, as a first class citizen from the start. You've got to design with security and privacy controls in mind. Um, I, in a lot of cases, we lean again on on these providers as well, right? So like when you talk about like basic cloud and infra- infrastructure security, a lot of that is by making smart choices in who we use um, for that sort of stuff. Um, and, and even when it comes down to, um, you know, some of the contactless stuff, and again, you know, a lot of times what we're trying to do, and at least now um, as a startup, and this, you know, could always change. We could decide you know, that this is our sweet sauce and we need to develop this IP, but we're, we're using another company who spent years and has gotten millions and millions of dollars of funding to solve some access control problems. And so um, we're able to interact with them in a secure way. They're able to design their software with security and privacy in mind. And when you bring those all together and look at all the edges and the interaction points, you can make a secure safe system that honors privacy controls, et cetera, um, where, you know, we haven't personally had to sit down and spend, Every last second of our time figuring out how to how to secure every last hook of it as long as we can choose good partners right right
0: that makes sense do you how has um, you know some states um, have individual privacy laws uh, that are different from other privacy laws, and some industries have standards that you have to follow that are different than other st- uh, you know so everybody has a flavor. Um, And it's a different context and purpose. And so you have a really interesting problem to solve, which is navigate the line. Know when, know what, know how. And so my favorite part of what you've said uh, so far is you have to treat security as a first-class citizen from day one. That is outstanding advice. Um, It has to be done on purpose. It's not an accident. It's not later. It's like, ah, we can get this done Saturday. It's doing on purpose
1: first. Yep. You know, and I'm not gonna sit here and act like I do everything perfect, right? I don't mean, I, I don't really even believe in perfect, right? Like, but I think by having those sorts of attitudes, it helps get you a long ways right out of the gate that you're you're not having to come back later and solve some of these problems because you thought about it at design time, right? Um So, and I lean a lot on that. I'm sure, you know, because we're only in a couple geographies, we haven't had to learn everything that we need to yet. I'm sure there's many (laughs) intricacies, as you say, that we're going to have to learn as we continue to grow and scale. But um, by starting with it as, uh, you know, as a high level idea in mind, then I think you can go a long ways.
0: Policy, you know, legislation, law, all of these things change. They don't change at the speed of technology, uh, thankfully, or none of us would keep up. But one of the things you mentioned earlier was that you don't claim perfection, which is cool, and and you don't even believe in the idea of perfect. That's cool. When I reflect on my own career, there's uh, many chapters, many seasons of attitudes that I've gone through whereby I believed that I was amazingly intelligent and skilled, and I had answers to all questions that had not yet been thought of. Um, To um, all the way to now when I talk to people, I'm like, don't give me permissions I don't need. If you have to give me permissions, take them away yesterday. Um, I only need to know what I need to know in order to get the job done, whereas in the beginning, my first question would have been, I need root. I need need access to all things because I can do all things. That journey, I believe a lot of people go through those journeys, and some people make them through at variable velocities. Some of the things that you've said, for example, not believing in perfection, knowing that you don't have the whole data set yet and you need to keep going, and knowing that by principle, security should be a first-class citizen. However, the actual implementation of that idea is, gosh, you got to figure it out while you're on the journey, too. It's not just a snap-of-the-fingers Lego fit. So mastering your craft, whatever you define your craft to be, I imagine it's become multi-pronged through the years and heat-mapped in different directions, but... You had to learn to be a useful technologist. You had to learn to be a useful solution provider. You had to learn to become a useful entrepreneur. And every one of those are their own journey. It sounds like you've done multiple of them at the same time. You've probably had varying velocities of learning and uh, getting schooled. Do you have some highlights from your career where you're like, hey, man, when I was 23, I thought this. And when I was... 27, I thought this, and now I think this.
1: I mean, what you described sounds very familiar. I do remember much younger days when I thought I knew everything. Now I feel like I kind of know nothing. I, I feel like as I've aged and, and done so much, I just see the world more nuanced, and I always assume there's some other better expert out there, and I want to be cautious not to you know, overstep or, or, or say anything with too much certainty because there's nuance in everything, right? Um, so I don't have a lot of, you know, individual aha moments. I think it has been a journey. I, I think from very early on for me, um, part of what helped me be a better technologist and solution provider and just more all around is that I've never really been afraid to ask questions. So, and I didn't really stick to my lane. <laughs> um, and I don't ever do that in a confrontational way. Um, I'm in pretty pragmatic guy and I, you know, so, I, but, but I've never been afraid to ask like well, how does this make sense business-wise or like what are the real financial drivers or what are our users actually really want regardless of what we want, you know? So I think all throughout my career, that attitude and that willingness to sort of ask the question, but in a non-controversial and confrontational way uh, has helped me a ton to just, you know, listen and if i have a question i usually am willing to just vocalize the question right um, and that's helped me a ton because i've learned so much by asking those questions i've also i think shown myself to be you know someone who thinks about it and more i'm not even though i was really obsessed with technology when i was younger even then i was thinking a little bit more about like what does success mean i guess do you know what i mean like it's not just this technology. We're not building technology for technology's sake. We're building it to address some problem or make some money or whatever our goals might be. And so I think I've always had a pretty a strong openness to, to asking those questions and digging in. And I think that's helped me a lot. On sort of a personal level, if you want to frame it as an aha moment, I think it's mostly, it was, I don't know when this happened exactly, but somewhere along the line, um, I accepted that I I am more skilled in a more of a managerial and director type role, and that I'm pretty good at bringing people together and um, listening to people explain something, and then be able to explain it with slightly different language so that this other guy or a gal in the room can understand it, right? Um, and so, sort of an aha to me was like the point when I finally realized like I'm not a programmer. I, I'm I'm Something else, you know, whatever you want to call it, but I'm working at a slightly different level. Sometimes it's Scrum Master, sometimes it's CTO, but it's it the way I can be more of a multiplier isn't by being a 10x coder. It's by helping solve business problems, making sure that our technology solutions then match and line up to those business problems. And there wasn't, you know, a breakdown in communications where we build a solution to the wrong thing, right? Um. So that for me, that was kind of a big, more of an aha. There wasn't a specific time, but it was just coming around to this understanding that you know that's probably more my sweet spot is is helping people and listening and directing rather than being the the builder himself, um, which is what all I wanted to do when I was sort of younger. Right? I was, I wanted to be a rock star coder, and I was obsessed with it and all that. Organizationally, I would say that aha moments again, not so much an aha moment, but I've just, I mean, you've sort of brought it up. I've always really believed in mutual respect, transparency, collaboration. And so, um, you know, I think that those basics can really make a team successful. I, I don't, you know, people are shocked sometimes when I interview, I don't ask a lot of technology questions. I really don't it, that Scott is the same way. I, I reference him over and over again, cause we've known each other since college. Um, so it was Scott Vlamic and ben, ben Edwards was the other one that um, were, you know, my best friends to this day and instrumental in starting that very first company. Uh, you know, I always tell people I, I'm not, I kind of came, a, it's not quite fair, but I'm not a natural entrepreneur. I, I, I'm not a huge risk taker. If it weren't for Scott and Ben, I wouldn't have probably been on the same path that I have been on because I may, while I had the desire and to be involved uh, in the room where it happens, if we want to drop a Hamilton reference, I wanted to be a decision maker, but I wasn't naturally drawn to entrepreneurship. Um, but Scott and Ben were more, and so as a as a the three of us, we went and formed Refactor. Um, but we've you know we've throughout our careers worked together and had people be shocked at how we interview. But we're looking at personality. We're looking at life. You know, are you a lifelong learner? Are you interested in things? Are you curious in things? Our basic thesis has been a lot of times, well, you know, what? regardless of what you learned in college, we got to teach you the job when to get here because every company does it a little different. And there's so much internal tribal knowledge, et cetera, right, that we look for the people who have the right personality characteristics much more than amazing coding abilities or, or, or engineering abilities. So that's led us to looking for people who show lots of mutual respect, curiosity, transparency, things like that. Um, you know, I think people get hung up on individual skills when really it's team dynamics that tend to sort of make or break projects or companies even. It's always a people problem. <laughs> you know, it's never a technology problem. You can do anything with technology. It's just turtles all the way down, right? Like, you, you can you can build almost anything, um, but it's always the people side of it. It's like, are the requirements I'm hearing you say really what you mean? And when I then implement that in software or hardware or what have you, is it really solving the problem you thought you wanted to solve? Is the problem you thought you wanted to solve really the problem that your company has, right? It's, it's all of those softer things that tend to make or break things in my experience. And it's rarely like a big tech fail. When it's big tech fails, a lot of times it's people that are obsessed with the tech and they want to build and own every last drop of it. Um, and they think it's all about the tech, not about solving whatever problem you're ultimately trying to solve.
0: You know, the name of the podcast is Long Way Around the Barn, and the initial premise was actually exploring um, different ways to solve problems and how sometimes um, getting to a solution for the problem may take unnecessarily long or be unnecessarily complicated, or it just just took longer than it needed to, and so, so sometimes we're looking for a shorter path, less complicated, but you know, a lot of the things that you just said, um, I think, is worth calling out. That there is no shortcut to the journey. There is no shortcut to becoming a master of your craft. There is no shortcut into becoming more. It's just a path you have to walk. Ditches you have to be in. Speed bumps you have to trip over. There is the long way around the barn to becoming a master of your craft. There is no shorter way. Right. It is the long way. So. Uh, the only
1: thing I would add is that you've got a, a, an integral component of that is the feedback loop. It's sort of something that comes out of agile and, and, but I think it applies to so much more, right? Like you, you're right. I don't think there are a lot of shortcuts. You have to take the journey, but all along that journey, you've got to be getting that feedback loop. That's telling, like helping you redirect a little bit, helping you expand your horizons a little bit, what have you. Um, I'm not maybe putting that very eloquently, but I think no, it's that's a key good. component. The feedback loop. That's super critical.
0: So as as we part then, uh, you have sh- talked about just so many things in such a very short period of time, but the most important thing that I want to call out is that you guys are in a new chapter of your journey together, and that's one tap away, and that's what you're building and testing and evolving and, and is generally available now uh, in moderated um, exposure. That sounds like an awesome chapter is there anything that you would want to add, or that I didn't ask, or you'd want to amplify about your journey um, individually, or as a team, or as companies? I mean, the parting thought for us. I mean, right off the bat, I already like the feedback loops.
1: <laughs> you know, I don't. I, I'm sure there's much more that, if you keep prodding me, I could say. But I think we've, I think we've <laughs> hit a lot on a lot of it. Um, you know, as you can see, I, you know, I value, I value the the people and the relationships a lot, and I think that's what. Generally leads to success for me. In some cases, that has been you know selecting who I work with, and that's been this chain of startups. And and it's also even once once you're in a company, it's the relationships with the vendors that you have, and and all the there's always partners involved, and so it, it 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 falls into all of that. So I'm certainly happy with where I am in my journey, and I'm excited where One Tap Away is. Um, would love for people to check it out. But unless you own a multifamily property, it's probably not going to be something you're going to uh, necessarily go grab yourself. But maybe you can ask if, if you live uh, for someone to to check us out. Um, and yeah, we just continue the journey and, um, you know, have, have as much fun as we can while we're doing it.
0: Dude, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to teach us today. This has been outstanding. Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting, where Matthew serves as the CEO and President. If you need to find a more simple, reliable path to achieve your desired outcomes, visit trility.io.
0: To my listeners, thank you for staying with us. I hope you're able to take what you heard today and apply it in your context so that you're able to realize the predictable, repeatable outcomes you desire for you, your teams, company, and clients. Thank you.